Good morning. It's good to see all of you. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are thrilled that you are here today and just call your attention to the worship God. If you'll notice on the very back page, um, Wednesday night suppers um, this week, and you need to sign up for that so we can know how many to cook for. So please, um, you can do that by calling the office or if you like to, um, you can scan it and, and do the QR code there. There's a lot of announcements for you. I won't make all of them, but I just want to call your attention to that page, especially men, the Sons of Thunder, the Chili Cook-Off is tonight in the NPR. Todd Jones will be speaking. It would be helpful if you would sign up so we know how many to set up for, but bring chili, and it's going to be a great time with listening to Todd speak and just enjoying the fellowship together. And you can see the other things, ladies, about the Kelly Mentor concert. And then there's, a, I think, the time I served with the Alabama Baptist, um, one thing I walked away with is the, the best ministry we have going in our state is the Alabama Children's Home. It's an incredible ministry. And you can see how we can, we can help them with some things. And so we'd love for you to get involved in that, and please do so. Um, we're glad you're here. Are you ready to worship today? Guests, we're especially glad you're here. There's a card inside the worship, uh, inside the pew that if you want more information about our church, or you can go to the back page and see how you could do that online. And uh, we would love to give you information that you may have about our church. Our call to worship straight out of Psalm 63, one of my favorite passages. In, let's read it together, and, um, and then we're going to pray and have our scripture reading. Let's, let's read it. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you, and we do want to long for you and thirst for you like that. Lord, I thank you for what the psalmist said today. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Lord, we call upon you who is worthy to be praised and we are saved from our enemies. We thank you, Father, that we're saved ultimately from the ultimate enemy. And we're walking in your spirit now. We thank you that we can worship you today with the body of Christ. We don't take it for granted that we can freely come here and worship. And so today we ask, Lord, that you would just uh, let the cares and anxieties that we bring to this room go away for a little while. Turn our eyes toward you. Turn our hearts toward you. And let us worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. From the reading of scripture to the singing of your word to the preaching to the response and giving, giving of ourselves and our time and our finances, we, we all want it to be one big worship service. And so today, Lord, by your spirit, help us worship. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let's read our scripture. Good morning. morning. Scripture this morning is found in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Stand as we join our voices in singing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of my Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Pray with us now as the choir does. I love the Lord.
take your hymn books and turn them to 112, Grace Along. It's sort of a new hymn, but it's a really neat hymn. Page 112, Grace Along. And then we're going into Amazing Grace. Stand, please.
Some songs are just better when we know the backstory, like it as well. And to think of John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, to know that he had been a slave trader, became a slave himself, vile, horrible human, and then he got saved and influenced Wilberforce and the abolition of slavery and wrote a song like that. It's, um, it's an amazing story of God's amazing grace. And, um, we, um, I forgot to announce, we, we, we try to celebrate with those who celebrate. Um, Gary over there, um, he and Janet got a new granddaughter. And um, Jordan, who grew up in our church, just had her first baby. And uh, I'm sure you got some pictures. And Janet's, Janet's loving on that baby somewhere. So um, just congratulations. And we, yeah, you get it. We'll put it up on the screen. And what's her name? What's the baby's name? Louisa. All right, that's beautiful. Um, I can't wait to see that baby. So um, it's amazing to watch girls and boys who grew up here and um, now becoming parents. And, and, and those of us who were young as I was when I came, now grandparents. Amen. And, um, and some of y'all who were grandparents when I came are great-grandparents. And so it's, it's been fun to, to journey together. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. I want to read it, and then we'll pray together. And so if you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Let's start in verse 11. In Him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him, through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Now let's keep reading through verse 15 in your Bibles. You, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we do thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for the truth that we are saved by grace alone through faith alone, ultimately in Christ alone for your glory alone. We give you honor and praise for our salvation. And we plead with you for those who may not have experienced that grace yet, that they would come to know you. We pray for our children who don't know you, our grandchildren who don't know you. We pray for our prodigals who have gone away, and we ask, Father, that they would come back, that your grace would pursue them, God, I thank you that you're a God who pursues. You don't only lead us, you're not only with us in the valley of the shadow of death, but you're behind us. You pursue us. Thank you, God, that you pursued us when we had no thought of pursuing you. So I pray, Father, that your spirit would move in our children and grandchildren's lives and in our spouses' lives and our own lives. God, we pray that you would draw our children and grandchildren to yourself. And those children who have just gone out with Illuminate and those who, who will soon be in Sunday school and being taught, even the one who's being baptized in the next service, God, we, we thank you. And we pray that we would see young men and women rise up and generation upon generation of those who have come through these walls, that they would follow hard after you. We love you, God. Now speak to us through this passage. Help us to understand what it means to be in you, for you to be in us. Help us to understand our union with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. From the book of Acts specifically in, in Paul's letters, especially the book of Galatians. One of the things that we learn is that there were false teachers 
in the early days of the church. We see it all the way through Colossians, and Paul deals with this, why he wrote the letter. But they, they were teaching, they were Judaizers, they were teaching that you had to keep the law to be saved. That yes, you, 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 you may have Christ by grace, but, but you had to keep the law. They were specifically teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved. In the Jerusalem Council, in the book of Acts, they centered on this issue. Because everywhere Paul was going to teach with Barnabas, they were coming behind him saying, listen, Paul's wrong. You, you have to be circumcised to be saved. We see it in Acts 15.1. It says they were teaching, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And so Paul was dealing with this issue all the way through as the New Testament church was growing, especially among the Gentiles. This wasn't an issue for the Jewish people, but it was an issue for the Gentiles. And they were saying, you have to follow this Old Testament right in order to be saved. Paul deals with it, and, and, and we need to deal with it as well as we look at this passage. Circumcision was an outward sign. The removal of flesh was a sign of something that took place. Some of you are going to be studying this in Sunday school today from Genesis. And what we see all the way back to Abraham, for example, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, God told Abraham that at the end of that verse, that every male shall be circumcised, every male. And so it was, it was the removal of flesh as a sign of the covenant. The covenant was the everlasting covenant. The circumcision was a sign of that covenant. And we find that in, 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 in even in the book of Genesis. It was a covenant, a sign of a covenant between God and Israel. But here's the thing. Even in the Old Testament, circumcision was not meant to be merely ritual. Nor was it meant to be merely physical. The physical act for the male child was a sign of a spiritual act that took place through faith and through faith alone. I'll give you a couple of examples. In Deuteronomy 10, 16, we find circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. You notice it's of the heart. That's an inward thing. You can't do that outwardly. In Deuteronomy 30, verse six, you find a promise that's, that's ultimately fulfilled in our passage. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So for order to them to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, what Jesus says is the greatest commandment, something must take place, and, and that's a move of God. God must move on their heart so that they can love as they should. God must move on our heart so that we can love as we should. That's where Paul picks up in Romans. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now, obviously, in Jewish right, it was outward and physical. But he's showing that that's not what it meant to show us. It's not the, the purpose of it. It's, 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 it's not outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart. Notice these words, by the Spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but God. It's by the Spirit. And so in Deuteronomy 30, there's something that God must do. And here in our text, we, we see Paul refer to that act of God with the words, a circumcision not made by human hands. It's not human. That's not something we do, but it's something God does. So when we come to verse 11, we need to know that Paul's not talking about the physical circumcision. He's not talking about the outward rite that must take place for a Jewish boy at a certain age. We do it for health reasons and other things, but, but, it, but it's, it's, he's not talking about that outward act. 
He's talking about something eternal. He says, notice in verse 11, in him also. What he's doing is taking us, continuing with us from verse 10. You remember what he said in verse 10? And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. You remember what he said in the verse before? For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. And then he says, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then he says, in him also. He's continuing this. He's, he's carrying on the idea of what it means to be filled in him. He said to us that if we're filled in him, we're circumcised in him, we're, we're buried in him, we're raised in him. We'll see next week, we're forgiven in him. Next week's passage is incredible to see what God does with our sin. And once again, it's all about being in Christ. In Christ. Notice the number of times he says in him or with him. Look at it just in these few verses. Verse 10, we're filled in him. Verse 11, in him. Verse 12, buried with him, raised with him. He says in verse 13, God made alive together with him. In verse 15, that he's triumphed over them in him. And even down in verse 20, if with Christ, we, we see it. Verse 30, chapter 3, if then you've been raised with Christ. He, he, he's talking about union with Christ and what it means to be in Christ and Christ to be in us. And so as we look at this passage, first of all, what we notice is that in Christ we have true circumcision. In Christ, we have true circumcision. This is important. Some take this passage, for example, and teach the baptism of infants. This is one of the passages that our Presbyterian brothers and sisters would use as, uh, as, a, as a reason for paleobaptism, which is the baptism of infants. They say that, that the Old Testament circumcision, that, that rite of circumcision is continued in the New Testament through baptism. That's why they... They baptize infants. Others would teach, for example, that this is a passage that says that you have to be baptized to be saved. The Church of Christ, for example, would teach this. But notice what Paul says in this passage. True circumcision is made, notice this, without hands. It's not something the pastor does. It's not something the parent does. It's not even something you do. It's something God does inside of you. He says it's made without hands, and then he goes on to say, by the circumcision of Christ. What in the world does that mean? By the circumcision of Christ. The only time this phrase is used. Well, surely Paul's not saying that when Jesus was circumcised, as a boy, that as he was, as all Jewish boys were, that, 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 that we were somehow saved through that. That's not what he's saying. Can't be what he's saying. He's talking about what's explained in verses 12 and 13. He's talking about being buried with Christ. Somehow he says we're circumcised with Christ, true circumcision. And as we put off the flesh... It's happening through Jesus' death and burial. So he's using circumcision as a, as a word that explains Jesus' death and, 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 and burial and resurrection. True circumcision is something that God does in us, male and female. It's done in our heart. It's on the basis of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Abraham's circumcision... And Moses' circumcision was an outward sign that points to this. I've tried to show you over the years that, that all the sacrificial systems and all the things in covenants that we see in the Old Testament, they're pointing to Jesus. And circumcision is one of those things. It was an outward sign of an eternal covenant that was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It's why... The Bible goes out of its way to show us that Jesus came from the line of Abraham. Through his seed, the whole earth will be blessed. And here we are as predominantly Gentile people 
who fulfilled that passage through faith. Jesus does this in us. God does it through what Jesus did for us. That's why, that's why Paul could write to a Gentile church in Philippi. Philippians 3, 3 he says, for we, Gentiles, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul said that about Gentiles. For we are the circumcision. So it's done without hands. It's something God does. It's not physical. It's not, it's not the outward baptism. So what is it? What happens when we receive Christ? What happens when we come through faith? He says, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By putting off the body of flesh. When Christ died, when he suffered in our place on the cross, when he was buried in the tomb, and when he was raised, God the Father then had the means to circumcise the flesh of our heart, the sinful nature. He had the means to circumcise that, to fulfill that Old Testament covenant. And it's done through faith, through faith. And we'll see that in just a moment. What he's saying is that in Christ, we have the means to victory over sin. We are the true circumcision in Christ, and in Christ we have the means to victory over sin. Jesus put off the body of flesh. Now, Paul dealt with people, and so did especially the Apostle John, that we would call Gnostics. And they were people who taught that the body was sinful, just the body itself. And so they taught, for example, that Jesus couldn't have taken on a fully human body because the body was evil, and therefore he couldn't. He was just a phantom. He just looked like a man, but he wasn't really a man. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so when we think about the body of flesh, we, we have to ask ourselves, what is he talking about? We we see the teachings uh, as they called it how bad the flesh was in verses 16 and following as we'll go through it. But, but here he speaks of this body of flesh that's the enemy. What is that? Is it, is it this body around the flesh and bones? Is that the flesh that's bad? No, that's, that's what the Gnostics taught, but that's not what the New Testament teaches. The body, the flesh and bones that we see that's not, that's not evil. So what's he talking about? It seems like I always make a beeline back to Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, Paul says there's, there's a flesh that is hostile to God. It's hostile. You can see it specifically in Romans 8, 5 through 7. Paul speaks of those who live according to, to flesh. And then he contrasts them with people who live according to the Spirit. And so he says there's two different people. There, there are those who live to the flesh and those who live to the Spirit. And he, he says in verses 6 through 8, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's hostile. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So we must die to that flesh. And Paul pictures the death of that flesh with circumcision. When we are saved, when we're buried with Christ and raised with Christ, that old self, that old man, that old nature is crucified. It's nailed to the cross. It's rendered powerless in our life because now the Holy Spirit's inside of us. And where he says it cannot please God, we can now please God because the Spirit's inside of us. 
That's why Romans 6 says that we're crucified with Christ. It's why Galatians 2, 19 and 20 says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. You know these words, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the death. I've been crucified with Christ. That's the life. It's now Christ in me. No longer, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I still live in this body. That's a different flesh here. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Paul's talking about here. But he's picturing it with circumcision. He's picturing what happens inside of us, that, that the old flesh is, has been circumcised. It's been, it's been rendered useless and removed. We're in Christ. And when we're in Christ, the old self is crucified and the body is now free to live in the spirit. That sin nature has been crucified. Now, I will say this, and we'll talk about it more in the days to come. Paul will tell you in chapter 3 to put it to death. And here's what I would say is, is the best way I know how to picture it is, is crucifixion was not an instantaneous death. A man nailed to the cross is rendered dead, but he's not dead yet. He's hanging there. He's suffering. And our Christian life, our old self has been nailed, it's been crucified, but it still tries to rule us and we have to put it to death. But, but Jesus, through the Spirit, has rendered it powerless if we will walk in the Spirit. That's a big if. If we'll live in the Spirit and live the resurrected life, we have a new king. We have a new Lord. The body is meant to be used for the glory of God. And true circumcision enables us to do it. In Christ, we have true circumcision. In Christ, we have victory over sin, which means the body of flesh is put away with. Literally, it means... To, to be stripped away. A body of flesh has been stripped away, but how? Look at verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. When Christ died, he, he opened the door for us to die with him. When Christ rose, he opened the door for us to rise with him. He paved the way for his followers to die to the flesh and, and live in the spirit. If you look at the next phrase, you'll find he, he doesn't leave us dead. He says, in which you were also raised with him. Christ's death and resurrection can be our death and resurrection. How in the world is that possible? Is it through baptism? Church Christ would tell you that. That baptism is regenerational. That you have to, to, to be baptized to be saved. The Catholic Church would tell you that. You, to be in the family of God, you have to be baptized as an infant. Or if you come into the Catholic Church later in life, you have to be baptized as an adult. But it's not a believer's baptism. It's a baptism that brings you into the church. Is, is that what he's saying? Is that what is taking place? Remember what he said is, it's done without hands. Those are key words. When in a couple of weeks, Teresa will be baptized and, and I will baptize in these waters and I will use my hands. If I don't, she will go under and not, well, she'll come up on her own. But, 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 but it's not done with hands. It's something God does. It isn't just physical, it's, but it's not just ceremonial either. Baptism is a sign. Now, circumcision was a sign of the everlasting covenant. And baptism is a sign. Baptism is an acting out of what takes place in, in our life. The Bible's very clear about baptism. Let me just say two things about it. The Bible's very clear about these two things. First of all, the Bible is clear that this is the order. Repent and be baptized. It's why we're Baptists. Repent and be baptized. All the way through the New Testament, that is the order. They believed and then they were baptized. 
It never says they were baptized before they believed. They believed and they were baptized. It's a believer's baptism. That's why we stand on that. That's why our forefathers would put to death over that. Because we believe that, that baptism is a believer's baptism. It's, it always follows our salvation. But secondly, the word it simply means to immerse, to go under. That's why we practice baptism as we do. It's why we, it's why we don't sprinkle or pour. We immerse. The word means to immerse. When Jesus was baptized, the Bible says he came up out of the water. But that baptism symbolizes something that has taken place inside of you. When you go under the water, it's a symbol of being buried with Christ, as Paul's mentioned here. As you come up out of the water, it's a symbol of being raised with Christ. Baptism is the symbol of that. It follows, and Paul, Paul speaks of it, and the New Testament writers speak of it. They can't, they can't imagine a believer who wouldn't be baptized. It's not in their worldview. It's not in their paradigm that, that anyone would claim to follow Christ but not publicly be baptized. And so he's speaking of this. It's, it's symbolizing when we died with Christ. It's remembering how we were raised with Christ. So we don't believe baptism saves us. But we do believe it's, it's an act of obedience that acts out what Jesus did in us and for us. In us and for us. Or how are we safe then? Look at those words. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him. What are the next two words? Say them out loud with me. Through faith. Through faith. We are in Christ through faith. This is why I'm not Presbyterian. It's through faith. Baptism is not something that's done to infants. It is through faith. When we believe in Christ, it's why I'm Baptist. It's why we're Baptists as a church. Salvation and baptism. All of this is done through faith. Baptism is not a continuation of the Old Testament circumcision for children. It's a sign. It's a picture of what takes place in our true circumcision that is done without hands. Again, the cutting away of flesh points to this. When we go under the water, we're showing we've been buried. When we come out of the water, we're showing that we've been raised. We're in Christ, and we are circumcised without hands. Our body of flesh is put away. We are buried, and we are baptized and we are raised through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection makes it all possible. It's something he does. And by faith in that, we are able to be saved. The powerful working of God makes it happen. He applies it through faith. It is God's power that makes it all possible. Notice that. It is God's power that makes it possible. It's not the pastor's power to baptize you. I can baptize you, but all that is is a symbol. It is God's power that makes it happen. Now, you and I must believe. Scripture teaches through faith. We must trust. We must accept what God has done for us and what God will do in us on our behalf. We must see that what Jesus did, he did for us, and, and that when we trust in him, we can be saved. Please, please, please see the glory of this. As, we, as we'll see next week, we were dead in our sin, but God, God made us alive. God delivered us from the domain of darkness, and we've been crucified with him and, and now resurrected with him. When it comes to chapter 3, we'll see it applied that, that we're raised with Christ. And if we're raised with Christ, we should seek the things that are above. We'll see that we should set our minds on him 
For we've died and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then we'll see these glorious words in verse 4, chapter 3. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's all by faith. It's done by the work of Jesus. The work Jesus did on the cross. His death, his burial, his resurrection, Paul refers to as circumcision. And God, doing a work by his spirit, not by human hands, through faith, circumcises our heart. He puts away the body of flesh that we might walk in the spirit. And this is all a result of our union with him. Amen? Let me ask you to bow your hands. We have a little time this morning. I want you to think through this. Our Presbyterian brothers are saved if they come through Christ. They, they don't believe that baptism saves a child. They believe it brings them into the church covenant and under the protection of the church, but they have to be saved at a later date. And they believe in professing faith. The Catholic Church believes differently than that, obviously, and so does the Church of Christ. And, and that's theirs. That's not ours. I think the thing for us to do this morning is to ask ourselves, have, have we come through faith to Christ? What we're going to see in chapter 3 is that if the answer to that question is yes, then the life changes. The hostile flesh has been crucified, and we've been raised in the Spirit, and the Spirit now lives in us. So there's a difference in our life because of that. Have you come through faith? If I were to ask you, what does it take to go to heaven? Would you, would you talk about mama's faith? Would you talk about your baptism? Or could you go back and say, I remember when I asked Christ to come into my life. I was born again. Maybe you don't even remember the day. That's okay. You might have grown up in such a Christian home that you just don't remember a time that you weren't walking with Christ. And that's okay too. But you know that the Spirit of God's inside of you because you, you were saved. You asked Him to come in. Have you been born again through faith? I know most of you. I, I've spoken with, with many of you about this. But it's just important for us to, to make sure that we understand that we have to come through faith. And then if you've done that, let me ask you, have you been baptized? A baptism won't save you. The thief on the cross was not baptized. I know that. But the Bible commands it. It's an act of obedience. Have you done that? Have you, have you been baptized by immersion after your salvation? And if both of those answers are yes, praise the Lord. If one of those answers is no, if you've not received Christ, then call upon him and you'll be saved. If you've been saved but not baptized, come see me and let's talk about how we can do that. I, I've worked with many people on many different issues in baptism, health issues and all kinds of things to help them be obedient. But if both of those answers are yes, then are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking in Him? He didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. That's a glorious, glorious thing that comes as a result. 
but he saved us so we could walk in him so that we could glorify him Father we come before you and I just pray as we sing in a moment that you would speak very clearly to us if there's something we should be doing in obedience I, I pray that you would help us to do so I thank you for what Paul has said. And I thank you, Father, for the verses that follow that show us how we're to live that life out. But Lord, I just go back to that Romans 8. And we're to walk in the Spirit, for the mind that is set on the Spirit is life. Help us when we spend way too much time in the flesh. And show us, Lord, how to walk in you. I pray right now, Lord, if, if there is someone here who's wrestling with something they should do in obedience to this, that, that they would do what you're calling them to do. It may be a private decision now, but every decision we make for you has to be lived out publicly. So let us be public with our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If God's calling you to do something public, we'll be here to help you. flowers, the seas and the miners um, did that in, in honor of, of, of your mom and um, I'm sure Robert and Phil picked those out right for, <laughs> but you know something about those flowers you could ask how long would they live like that if you put them in water how long would they live and the truth of the matter is that flower was dead the moment it was cut off the bush its lifeline was gone and we are only alive when we are the branches who are connected to the vine. The only way life ever comes through us is that God produces it, just as the vine produces the juice for the branch to produce fruit. We must walk in Christ. Amen? One helpful tool in that is small groups. 
and Bible study. I encourage you to go to a Sunday school class. Tim's in the four-year. He can show you a class. Ronnie and I can tell you about a class. And people around you can help you find that class. Look around you. Look at the fullness in this room. That's a, that's a praise to God. 90, 95% of churches in America run less than 100 people. God has blessed us with so many things. And I, I was telling our deacons, when we began to see growth, Satan begins to rear up his head, you know? So let's not, let's not be those people that he uses. Let's be tools for good. Let's light the right fires. And let's burn for his glory. Amen? Our ushers will be at the door. Please give as God has given to you. God bless you. Take care.